1: This episode of The Murder of My Family is brought to you by Madison Reed. Madison Reed has hair color that is gorgeous, salon quality, multi dimensional, ammonia free, and delivered to your door all for under $25. Visit madison reed.com for 10% off plus free shipping on your first hair color kit with promo code FAMILY. That's promo code FAMILY. If you would like to discuss the murder in your family on this podcast, please be sure to visit. TheMurderInMyFamily.com Murder in My for more information. You can support this podcast by visiting Patreon.com forward slash The Murder in My Family. This episode may contain unsettling material or subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. Mm-hmm. Thank you for joining me for this episode of The Murder in My Family. Please allow me a moment to share some important information before we get started. If you find that you enjoy this podcast, please take a moment to rate and review it wherever you listen to podcasts so that the show can continue to grow and reach new listeners. To learn more about the show or the cases we discuss, please visit themurderinmyfamily.com. You can also find us on Twitter with the handle at murderinmyfam or by searching for the Murder My Family podcast on Facebook. If you'd like to support the show via a Patreon donation, it's always appreciated, and you can do so by visiting patreon.com forward slash The Murder of My Family. If you prefer to, you can also support the show through a PayPal donation by visiting paypal.me forward slash The Murder of My Family. In each episode, I give shout outs to any new supporters. In this episode, I'd like to thank. Daniela, and my friends Jen and Lindsay at the Corpus Delecti podcast. And thank you to all of the supporters that generously donate and keep the podcast going and improving. One last item, I'd like to invite you to check out and subscribe to my YouTube channel in which I talk about all kinds of true crime topics and projects that I'm working on. Just go to YouTube and search for True Crime Guy and you'll find my channel. I plan to create new and fresh videos for the channel as well as have interactive chats from time to time so I hope you'll consider checking it out. Thank you, and now on with the show. Losing a sibling to a senseless murder would be hard for anyone, and we've discussed several cases involving the murders of siblings on this podcast. But imagine if that sibling is your identical twin sister, your best friend, someone that was literally part of you. In 1996, Jody LeCronneau was murdered in Baltimore, Maryland, in a shocking and very public act of violence. Jody's senseless murder was devastating for her sister Jenny, who's been searching for the truth ever since. Almost 23 years later, both Jenny and police still don't have answers. In the early morning hours of March 2, 1996, 23-year-old Joanne LaCornue, or Jody as she was known to family and friends, walked out of the Mount Washington Tavern in Baltimore, Maryland after last call. The Towson College student had spent the night drinking after a bad argument with her boyfriend hours before. One of the bar employees asked Jody for a ride home. Although it was beginning to snow, Jody, who wasn't fond of driving her Honda Civic in bad weather, agreed to take the employee to his home, in the Roland Park section of Baltimore. After dropping off the bar employee, Jody stopped at a liquor store and purchased a six-pack of beer. Likely not wanting to return home to another argument, Jody instead decided to drive to a parking lot in the back of what is now known as the Drumcastle Shopping Center, located at 6401 York Road in the Towson section of Baltimore, just around the corner from Jody's home and about three miles away from the Mount Washington Tavern, where she had spent time earlier. Jody pulled into the parking lot sometime around 3 a.m. She sat in her car intending to drink her beer, likely wrestling with a lot of mixed emotions and personal demons. Jodi had a long history of alcohol and drug abuse, dating back to her childhood. Despite overcoming drug use, Jodi was still wrestling with alcohol abuse, and things like an argument with her boyfriend might have sent her to search for a drink. Jody's need to go off and have a private drink in a secluded spot in the early morning hours of that March day must have been quite strong, because Jodi was uneasy about the city of Baltimore after dark. The high rate of violent crime left Jody uneasy, and untrusting of strangers. Jody usually tried to avoid putting herself in situations that might expose her to danger. It wasn't like her to sit in a deserted Baltimore parking lot, all alone in the dark. As Jody sat drinking her beer, she made a couple calls from her cell phone. One was to the Mount Washington Tavern. The other call was to the boyfriend of a woman that lived with Jody and Jody's boyfriend. It's not known why Jody made these calls or what she said, but she did reach her roommate's boyfriend and they talked for a few minutes. While Jody sat parked in the deserted and lonely parking lot, a car pulled into the lot, its headlights shining on Jody's car. The new arrival to the parking lot, a white BMW, pulled close to Jody's Honda. It's anybody's guess what, if any kind of conversation Jody had with the driver of the BMW, or if she knew him at all. And it's also not clear how long the two drivers were there in the parking lot together. What is clear is that at 3.40 a.m., Workers inside a giant supermarket, as well as a person delivering supplies to a Boston market, both across the street from where Jody was parked, heard a gunshot. When they looked out into the darkness to see what was going on, they saw Jody's white Civic drive across the street and into the giant parking lot, where it coasted to a stop it was followed closely by a white bmw the eyewitnesses watched as a man got out of the bmw and walked up to jody's car and reached in it seemed as if he had put the car in the park he then appeared to grab something out of the civic before walking away and getting back into the bmw the white car pulled out of the parking lot heading south on york road and turned east onto walker avenue before vanishing from sight the eyewitnesses immediately called police and the call was received at 3:41 am police arrived on the scene moments later but it was too late. Jody LaCournou was dead behind the wheel of her car. Investigators determined that her killer had shot her once through the rear window of her Civic. The bullet, shot from a thirty eight caliber handgun, passed through the seat and into Jody's back. She somehow managed to drive her car across the street trying to flee before passing out in the giant parking lot where the car came to rest. Police questioned the eyewitnesses who described the shooter as being black in his mid twenties or early thirties between five foot ten and six foot one and weighing between 200 and 220 pounds. He was wearing a fatigued military-style jacket, but none of the witnesses was able to get the license plate number of his car. Detectives had the difficult task of notifying Jody's family to break the news to them, It would prove to be especially difficult for her parents, who were to celebrate the 34th wedding anniversary that day. Instead of a joyous anniversary, they had to face the shocking truth that one of their daughters was dead. Across the country in California, Jody's twin sister Jenny got the news that Jody was dead, and she felt helpless being so far away. She hastily made arrangements to get back to Baltimore. On March 6th, four days after Jody was murdered, a service was held for her in the U.S. Naval Academy in Annapolis, Maryland. Meanwhile, police continued their investigation into the murder, questioning several people, including those closest to Jody and those with more casual connections to her. They started exploring various theories and motives for the murder. Police looked into the possibility that the murder was a result of a drug deal gone bad, but found no evidence of that. Jody also had no drugs in her system at the time of her death. Police also explored the theory that Jody was simply the victim of a robbery gone wrong. It was discovered that her purse and her cell phone were missing from her car. Jody's father was an assistant state's attorney in Anne Arundel County and had prosecuted many drug and violent crime cases. So police even looked into the possibility that Jody's murder was revenge against her father. But there was no evidence pointing to that either. Months went by with no arrest. Almost six months after the murder, in August of 1996... Jody's parents were still grief-stricken and trying to figure out how to cope with Jody's unsolved murder. They placed a memorial in an Annapolis newspaper to try and express what they were feeling in words. The memorial read, Several months have passed since we lost our 23-year-old daughter, Joanne Elizabeth Jody. When she was on the threshold of college graduation and marriage to her fiancé of five years, her promising life was cut short by an unspeakably savage act. On March 2nd in Towson, She was shot in the back from the rear of her car while seated at the wheel, alone and defenseless. The assailant, still unidentified, then took her purse and car phone and fled into the night. It is our earnest hope that this odious creature eventually will be apprehended and removed from society. In the meantime, we are coping with Jody's tragic death the best we can. We miss her terribly. The bullet that ripped through her tore pieces of our heart away. Although not fatal, our wounds can never fully heal the scars, sorrow, and pain will remain. Jody was a sunbeam in our lives and in those of others as well. She still lives in our fondest memories, forever in our hearts, forever smiling, forever young. To be sure, we have been sustained and comforted beyond words by the thoughtful expressions of sympathy and concern received from so many friends and professional associates in the Annapolis community. This outpouring of support, which continues to this day, has included substantial contributions to the reward fund being administered by Metro Crime Stoppers of Baltimore. Donations have come from people we don't know and some have been anonymous. To all of you who have reached out to us during this extremely difficult time, we express our heartfelt and enduring gratitude. Jody thanks you too, the family of Jody Lord Cornu, Annapolis. Months with no answers in Jody's murder turned into years and years into decades. Jody's father passed away, never knowing who murdered his daughter. Along the way, police revealed that in addition to having eyewitness descriptions of the killer and his car, they also had surveillance video of the killer and fingerprints. But all of that still hasn't led to an arrest. Jody's twin sister, Jenny, has made it her personal mission to keep Jody's case alive and to keep searching for the person that broke that special bond that she had with Jody and can never replace. Jenny has been interviewed for several news segments about Jody's murder and appeared on television shows including True Crime Daily. Just recently, only days ago in fact, Jenny helped direct a new billboard asking for tips about the case and offering a reward of $32,000. The billboard went up only a day after what would have been Jody's 45th birthday, very close to the spot where she was murdered 22 years ago. Despite frustration and a lack of an arrest in this case, Jenny isn't planning to stop looking for the truth in her sister's murder. She joins me to talk about Jody's case and her efforts to get justice after this message from our sponsor. Today's episode of the Murder of My Family is sponsored by Madison Reed. For decades, women have had only two options when it came to coloring their hair. Outdated, at-home hair color, or the time and expense of a salon. The future of at-home hair color is here with Madison Reed. Gorgeous, salon-quality hair color, delivered to your door, on your schedule, all for under $25. Madison Reed is reinventing hair color. With the convenience and affordability of at-home hair color, and an ammonia-free formula made with ingredients that you can feel good about. And Madison Reed is Leaping Bunny certified, which is just one more reason to feel great about trying Madison Reed. One box contains everything you need to color with confidence, including barrier cream, a protective cap, two pairs of gloves, and a cleansing wipe. And a cream-based formula means no drips, no mess, just gorgeous color with 100% gray coverage. Find your perfect shade at madison-reed.com. And Madison Reed would like to honor listeners of the Murder in My Family with 10% off, plus free shipping on their first color kit with the promo code FAMILY at checkout. That's promo code FAMILY. Join the hundreds of thousands of women who have tried and loved Madison Reed. Visit madison-reed.com. And now back to the show. Hi, Jenny, and thanks for coming on to discuss Judy's case with us today.
2: Hi, how are you, Mike?
1: I'm good. I appreciate you coming on and doing this. And the first thing I wanted to address with you is that you and Jody were twin sisters? It's clear that any person who loses a sibling would have a lot to deal with. It seems like for a twin who loses their brother or sister, it might even be more devastating because typically twins are so close to each other and have that special bond. Was that true of you and Jody?
2: Yeah, absolutely. We were two minutes apart and were inseparable. We spent our whole growing up together just you know we always had the same room and a lot of the times in the same classes and same friends you know we just we spent our pretty much every waking moment together and, and the same, like I said slept in the same you know we were in the same room and um yeah so it was we were definitely very close like have, having your best friend around
1: telling each other secrets and things that only the two you you know kept between you and stuff like that
2: yes you yeah. always had we we're always Together, always had her around, and I mean, there was, you know, there was. I mean, as we got older, people. I mean, we, we looked a lot alike when we were younger, but as we got older, we, you know, people could start to tell us apart. And but, um, yeah, two, we were identical, two minutes apart.
1: And, and tell us a little bit about Jody's background and what kind of person she was, and what kind of memories you have of her.
2: So Jody was just very, just a very sweet person very um you know, had a big heart. She my my friends like to say she was the life of the party. She was very um like outgoing and um I was more the shy one and you know she was I, I'd say more the stronger I was referred to as Jenny the Wimp for some reason. <laughs> but she was the stronger one and you know, when when I'm thinking about like our high school years, she was definitely more like, did her hair up, like, perfectly, and the right, she had like, the right pink lipstick, and I mean, she just really was, like, the more glamorous one, you know, just, she was very striking, and and, and she also struggled quite a bit, you know, both of us starting young with eating disorders and alcohol and drugs, and she, yeah, so it was very, she, she is a good soul, but definitely struggled a lot her life
1: as twins that was something the good stuff you had together that was something bad that you shared with between you
2: yes yes absolutely
1: take us back to march of 1996 when jody was killed how did you find out about her death so
2: we actually were ended up through a series of events being separated and i had was had moved out my well my parents had taken me out west and so Jody was in Baltimore and was living with her boyfriend at the time. And I ended up getting engaged. I actually, uh, after a period of time living in on a dude ranch where my parents had placed me, they put me, I moved to California where I got engaged. And um, so I found out, you know, we, we, even though we were separate coast to coast, we you know, we still talked on the phone every day and I would come home and visit we I, I remember that Saturday morning trying to call her, and she didn't answer the phone. and I was got this this weird feeling and but it wasn't anything like this horrible feeling, but just a weird feeling. So it was shortly after that that my fiance uh, came flying into the door and said, "Jodie's dead." And I just immediately, i mean, just went numb in shock, and you just I didn't know how to you just don't know how to handle something like that. you know what I mean? It's like uh, from that moment on, I was just in like i i say almost like a robot like just or just going through like the motions and I mean everything was like so much of a blur. we immediately got on the plane, you know as soon as we could, got to the airport, and came back to maryland and and that's when I started to find out more of the details of what happened. And it was just so shocking because, you, you, I mean, it's just something like that is something you'd see on TV or a movie and, and um, just for something that your twin sister was murdered. And it just, I mean, like I said, it was years of just being in shock and not being able to cope, you know? And I, um I, I mean, I, I couldn't even be by myself in a room for years. I mean, it was really bad. I couldn't even, I ended up coming home and living with my parents and um, I was just absolutely terrified, not, you know, from losing her and then the, the manner of which how she was shot. And it just, you know, and I still over the years suffer from tremendous anxiety and get I mean, I used to wake up, she died, it was, I believe it was 3.41, and I mean, over time through the years, I'd wake up, like, around that time, you know, in the middle of the night, just freaked out, and so, yeah, it's it's something that never, I mean, and even as I got older and had kids, like, I was afraid to, you know, my husband, if he had to go out of town, I'd lock my kids and I in the bedroom at night. I was so terrified, like, somebody was coming after me, so, yeah, I, I have, like horrible anxiety
1: it scarred you in in a way that Mm -hmm. would be it's not like she died in a car accident or from illness or something it's the way she
2: was taken right right and and i mean unfortunately she and i started we had anxiety when we were young so but it's i just know that um losing her has i mean it's like i said it's it's called like i guess enhanced you know the anxiety and, and bouts of depression and and the years of trying to find out what happened. And my father got sick with cancer and, and um, you know, he was a prosecutor for drug and violent crime. We were, you know, it was just very heartbreaking to go through taking care of, seeing him very sick and, and him not being able to see justice for Jody, you know, and after he died, um, I really was like, just really focusing on her case. And, and, and honestly, for a long time, I didn't know that there was really anything that I could do with with her case. But I just started to just talk to people and just really try to get her story out there because I was really frustrated with the killer still being out there and and just wanting answers and so I've really spent a lot of time over the years, including the, the lawsuit with the police, with the Baltimore police in Baltimore County, trying to get her file and doing podcasts and, and just doing whatever I can on the social media. I mean, it's ripped up my family a lot, unfortunately, like my husband and I. And we, we were, we've um, had horrible problems. I mean, he's supportive, but um, it, it has really just... Come between he and I, and and you know, and and me being a mother, I have three kids, and um, I, I I mean even it's been over twenty years, but like this last anniversary, I sunk into like a really huge depression, and I, I honestly didn't know that I was going to come out of it. It was really bad. Um, the anniversary being March second, which was actually my parents' wedding anniversary. So you know, I I'm just very grateful. I have lots of friends and, and my family and that, and lots of the news and reporters and, you know, people that have reached out to me on social media that have really, um, see, I'm getting emotional now. God, that have helped, that have helped me because I, uh, I get really down and hopeless and just like really frustrated with this and, and angry, you know all sorts of emotions, um, but like I said, you know, not it, it, like the stress on the family, and um, I mean that's just been huge as well. And um, you know, I still suffer from the anxiety, and and that's debilitating. I mean, it, it keeps me from doing a lot of things.
1: And that's the snowball effect that I see with a lot of people I talk to is that when when somebody's taken away, when they're murdered, it affects other people and ruins parts of their lives for the for the rest of their lives and that's the unfortunate thing is because when one dies other people are victims too in a, in a different sense
2: oh yeah and even with my father you know my father was the greatest person on the planet i mean he was such i mean i such a good man and he struggled with addiction as well and and um this just he spied you know after losing jody he spiraled downward and um, just it was so awful Uh, and and with you know my parents and and i spent even like a lot of years trying to like my i was like trying to make everybody happy and feel good because i was so worried about everybody else that i feel like i wasn't like taking care of myself or you know trying to 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 really uh, what's the word, um, grieve or what, you know what I mean? Cause I don't, I don't feel like I've fully really, I mean, I, I honestly feel like a big part of it hit me this year. I mean, I feel like I just, I'm really good at like moving, 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 going, 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 like just because I can't sit still, I can't think about things. I, you know, it's just really easy for me to run. And, um, it's, uh, yeah, it's really hard to be with just me. I mean, and, I mean, and I, you know, I also struggle with my own personal <laughs> battles as well, you know, um, still, um, but it's just, um, it's really hard. And, um, I, am. Um, I mean, I, I don't, I, I also want to mention, I'm very fortunate. I mean, I have, I, I, know that I have a wonderful life. Um, it's just, um, it's just really hard living with this. And it being, it's like this big open wound. And, um, and, and I get so hopeful. Like we just recently did this billboard on York Road. We put up a billboard, um, last Monday where it says find my killer and it has Metro crime stoppers number and we have the reward $32,000. So um, I I get really up when I'm doing things like this. And I did some interviews. I did an interview with CNN and a bunch of Baltimore the news stations. And I feel really positive and hopeful when I'm just, when I feel like I'm getting her story out there and then, and then I would lay in bed at night and think, "Oh my gosh, what if nothing happens what if not you know it's like my mind starts to mess with me and so it's it's I just I gotta constantly like try to stay positive and um and just you know to really hope that um we're gonna we're gonna get the answers
1: it sounds like it's a a bit of an albatross around your neck weighing on you yeah. constantly yeah you know and
2: even as far you know like I said with my husband like it it he, It's like I said, he's supportive, but even like, and it's like, it's really hard for him to see me spending a lot of time, like doing podcasts and doing stuff because he feels like I'm, he's like, Jody's like, you know, we got into a, we, I had good morning America come to my house the other night. To do an interview, and I don't know when that's going to air. But no, and it. Oh, they came. They were there for hours. Oh, you know, the house. It's like a big ordeal. It's a school night, and, and but I would do anything to get her story out there. But it caused pretty much World War Three. So, um, you know, it just it, it. I think you know, it just was a reminder of being at the house and doing the interview and him listening to the interview and, um, just that because there was like a period when I was going through this whole lawsuit um, going back and forth to Baltimore and, and just very stressful meeting with like the police lawyers and, um, and the financial part of it. I mean, we spent $20,000. No, that was, you know, my mother was, I mean, we all like put together that put that together, but it, it was just like a lot of strain on the marriage. And so it's been really hard for me to sort of find that balance of trying to, um, if that's the right word, trying to be active and, and do as much as I can. I mean, my mind is constantly going like, what can I do? What can I do? Who can I call? Who can I reach out to? Um, and then being there like present with my family and the kids and you know, and then I have the anxiety piece of it where like I wake up, I woke up this morning and I was from horrible anxiety and I feel like I'm jumping out of my skin and, and I just, I want to jump off the roof. Like it's so bad sometimes. And, And then I will, like, I'm a nice, calm, kind person. But, like, my kids push me and I, like, just snap this morning. And then
1: I feel like this horrible person. So it's, like, this vicious cycle. It's all weighing on you and affecting other parts of your life, it sounds like.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I, I think I told you. I did. I got involved with, and, and I would recommend this to anybody with hospice and doing a lot of volunteer work with them. And it's just, that's been, like, a really, really good, I say, like, a healing just it's just been an amazing experience for me because I always feel better when I'm helping people. <laughs> I like to help people, so that's been that's been like a really good thing. But I, 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 I honestly I feel like um, just a, a mess. <laughs>
0: yeah. I feel like it's like day to day, you know.
1: let me ask you this. At the beginning when this first happened and you went back to Baltimore to be with your parents, what did the police tell you at the time that they th- thought happened? What was their theory? Did they think it was something random? Did they give you your family information and keep you guys aware of what they were doing?
2: You know, I uh, honestly, I, I, I think back then they were saying that maybe it was a robbery that, th- you know, with my dad being a prosecutor, I think we were lucky. He was in another County, but uh, you know, he said he prosecuted drug and violent crime that um, we were lucky that he, I, I, I think Um. how to, how to better say this, maybe cause he was not one of them, but you know, sort of part of, part of the, be they sort of, um, uh, made contact, um, with him uh, maybe a little bit more, but like, I mean, by like, but I was just not even anywhere. I mean, I literally was just not even involved in like that aspect of it. Like I was just, just like trying to get through each day. And so I was not like engaged at the time. And, and I, that like broke off, like, you know, talking about like relationships and, and, um, like I said, I couldn't even be by myself. Like I was just, I, I, I honestly, I don't even remember like a lot of those days. Um, I mean, I mean, this is embarrassing, but you know, like my parents had their own bedrooms, which, um, and I had to sleep with my mother. Cause I mean, and I was like, I couldn't even, I was never by myself. I was, I was like that, like traumatized. And, um, I mean for the longest time. So yeah, so it wasn't, you no, know, and, and, um, so we, and my dad pretty much had like the highest respect for the police and, and everybody. So he, he absolutely just felt like that they were doing everything they could. And, um, now I think he just sort of, he wouldn't be one to, um, be hounding them. You know, he was a very, which is hard to believe because I was always the shy wimp one, but I just, Got, you know, I just got like this backbone, and I was like, I'm done. I'm done, and um, I'm trying to be patient. And uh, I just feel like there's a lot to her case. You know, with the description of the suspect and the vehicle and the fingerprints, and yeah, I, I just feel like there. I don't know. It's just it's just mind boggling to me. And I, I, not that I'm trying to put anybody down or anything, but this just seems sort of like a case that. In my opinion, not just because I mean, yeah, because it's my twin, that should have been solved. I mean, it just you no. Know, I mean, after all these years and learning stuff and talking to people, and it's just it's it's really hard. Oh, you know, and and I you know as time goes on, it's like all these years. Oh, you know, it, it gets. I mean, definitely, I get hopeful when you hear of like a case after twenty something years being resolved. But oh. You know, I don't know. And then people are constantly sending me stuff about this like genealogy. I don't even understand it like genealogy stuff because what I'm told there was no DNA.
1: And that's what's frustrating in this case is is it lacks maybe some of the evidence that other crimes that are being solved do have. Her circumstances of of her murder are, are kind of odd. You know her better than anybody else would have known her. Was she the kind of person that would go sit in the a dark parking lot by herself at three no. am in the morning?
2: No, not at all. I mean, she was terrified of everything. And I mean, even though she drank and she struggled with the drinking and she was trying to, and she was put together times of being sober. Um, you know, that was alcohol was her drug of choice and she sort of drank to, which is not the answer to her habit of drinking to like calm her nerves. Um, but the alcohol just makes everything worse, you know? And, and like I said, she, she had tried to get sober and terribly, and it was just heartbreaking to see. And, and, um, unfortunately she could hold a lot of, you know, she could drink a lot. Um, so she, when she was drinking, it was like she was drinking on a daily basis. So it was, I mean, just for this night, I mean, for her to just go, I mean, her boyfriend told her not to come home, but just for her to, go sit there for her to uh, be driving late at night. And they, you know, they'd asked her to drive this employee home who couldn't drive. And um, she, I mean, like she would help anybody, but late at night, uh, there's, there's some reason why she did that. I don't know why she did that. Um, She wouldn't have driven in the snow. I mean, I mean, she just, and she would, she would tell us, she told my family, she was afraid she was going to get shot in Baltimore, right, you know, right where she was. I mean, she was two minutes from her house. So um, that's not in the county. I mean, she was, she died on the, it was like this county city line. So if you can say this, like it wasn't a bad area, stuff like that didn't
1: happen there. And so in your opinion, even if she was drinking, you don't think she would have let down her guard and went there? To sit there in the dark, that just wasn't like her to do something like that.
2: No. I mean, I'm thinking, why didn't she just go if she truly didn't think? First of all, I I don't know why she did. I mean, she had friends, like, why she didn't make a plan to go stay with somebody? Um, But why wouldn't she have gone to sit in front of her house or something? You know, and if her boyfriend didn't want her to come home, why go sit in a parking lot? Um, I don't know. Yeah. That's... I mean, I mean, the, then I go back, I'm like, well, maybe she felt comfortable cause she was close to her house to sit there, but I just, I, I don't see her doing any of that.
1: Yeah. And I think that's, what's so frustrating in this case is it's seems like on one hand, it, she's not the kind of person that would go out there and sit there in that position where somebody could come along and do that. But then that happens and you start to wonder, ask yourself questions. Is it random? Did somebody plan on meeting her there? And then you're left with all these questions and no answers.
2: Right. And then I, like I said, then I go back to the thing about like her work. Then I think I never thought about this, like her job. Cause I didn't know much about this place. She was at this bank. I'm like, was there something going on in her work that I didn't know about? You know, she had been over, I don't know how many months she had been in two different detoxes. Did she meet somebody? Like, I mean, I, I for sure there was people that I didn't know Maybe that she knew.
1: Do you see what I'm saying? Like just that—that that. endless questions. It sounds right. Like. Right. Endless possibilities, and and that's for me when I hear about these kinds of cases. That's what's frustrating is that there's no clear picture. So I can only imagine for you wrestling with all these different theories and ideas and possibilities can only be really tough yeah
2: it's like you you start to go down one i mean like i said they started off early on you know with my dad because he prosecuted drug and violent crime did it have something to do with that and they quickly ruled that out you know was it a drug theory was it a a random you know just a random a random crime you now just the way that it happened was so bizarre you know like we talked about earlier him shooting her, following her with people around. I mean, and then her window was rolled down, you know, the phone calls. So there's just so many different scenarios and you start to go down it. And, and you know, I mean, I go through it in my head all the time. And like I said, I'm constantly, my next thing is, I mean, I, I I'm... Honestly, I'm, when I told you my mind's constantly going, I'm like, I think I'm going to have to become a police officer or private investigator. Because <laughs> like, I'm like, I, I mean, that's just how I'm, I I go through my head. Like I've got to I'm constantly trying to figure out how I can solve her case.
1: <laughs> well, all these years later, you're still working hard on it. I know you've been on different TV shows and podcasts and done interviews. And it, it seems like you're doing everything you can For your sister, so I think she'd be very proud of you and and happy that you've done this. I I know you took the you mentioned suing the police department to try and get access to her files. So you've you've gone above and beyond what most people could could do or you know would do. So I think she she'd definitely be happy about that.
2: Well, I appreciate that. I mean, it's just. uh...
1: It's very I, hard. It? Yeah, and I can, I can, you know, I know your your father passed away, but I can imagine it's still tough on your mom as well, having to all these years still not have answers either. Right. Oh,
2: yes. Yeah. I mean, she's been through
1: so much. Oh, and- well, I, I hope that you your family does get the answers that you've been waiting for for so long. And is there? Do you have any websites or Facebook pages or anything where people can go check out or learn more about her case or? provide information if oh, they have it.
2: So, yeah, well, there is, um, so we have this, um, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a the justice for Jody. I don't know. It's like, it's a website that, um, we've been, we're actually I have a friend of mine that's put together. That's amazing. Um, that's actually on the billboard. So it's just justice. And then the number four Jody, um, we have the justice for Jody page on Facebook You know, I do, I put stuff on Twitter and then my own Facebook page. I mean, and any other suggestions of ways that I could get her, you know, information out there, at Carrieri, C-A-R-R-I-E-R-I, underscore, is that right? The little, (laughs) Jenny, Jenny, J-E-N-N-Y. I'm on Twitter, but I don't know much about it. I mean, I just, (laughs) I had a reporter put me on and he's like, start putting stuff out there. Be interesting. Do this, do that. So, um... So it's career. It says the word carrier with an I. And then yeah, I'm not very like savvy on all this stuff, but um I I
1: try. It's <laughs> yeah, definitely a good way to spread the word, you know, oh, yeah. a little bit more and have people learn more about it. And is there is there a phone number where people can call if they have information, like a police tip line or anything like that?
2: Oh yeah. So there's the Metro Crime Stoppers. Okay. There's, well there's a thirty two thousand dollar reward. And it was the Caldor parking lot where she was shot. That was the and it's it's now government buildings, um, but on York Road, but it's Metro Crime Stoppers of Maryland. one eight six six seven lock up. But the, you know, the billboard and that's like about a mile down the road um from where she was shot. That was that that was about the closest we could get it. And I'm, I'm, I'm open if anybody has any ideas or anything, you know, you or any, you know, to keep, keep her, you know, keep her story out there.
1: And the right person just has to see it and come forward, hopefully. And maybe that gives you the answers that your family has been waiting for, for so long. Oh, definitely. Thank you for listening to this episode of the murder of my family. As we wrap up this episode, I'd like to play previews for two true crime podcasts that I think you'll enjoy. The first is for the Murderous Miners podcast, and the second is for Good Nightmare. And before you go, remember that every murder victim means something to somebody.
2: The simple truth is that children kill. Kids have murdered their best friends, teachers, grandmas, and even their own babies. Children have killed alone and in groups, with other kids and sometimes with adults too. Who can even begin to speculate as to how people can justify resorting to murder? Not us. This show focuses on the facts, details, and circumstances which give rise to murderous minors, killer kids.
0: This is Sarah from Good Nightmare Podcast, a podcast where I like to talk about all things strange and unusual, whether it's mysteries, historical crimes, or fairy tale origins. I hope you'll come along for the ride and join me as we delve into some spooky tales. Happy listening.